So this week we continue our uh, series entitled Rejected by Jesus. And this week we talk about a group that is, is obvious in a series titled like this. It's probably one everybody thought I might lead off with. And who would that be? The Pharisees. Yeah, let's talk about the Pharisees. Who were the Pharisees? Because through the gospel accounts, there aren't many times when we see Jesus truly get aggressive with people. And so when he does, I think it's something we should pay attention to. And when I say aggressive, I mean genuinely angry. Very bold and upfront, not that Jesus ever hedged things, but, you know, we saw with the rich young ruler, he was pretty gentle, actually, while, you know, crushing his uh, self-righteousness. It talks about Jesus even loved him in the process. And here, when we look at the Pharisees, we don't see any such kindness coming from Jesus toward them as a group. And I can only think of one other time in Scripture when Jesus genuinely became this angry with people, and that was when he made a whip, turned over tables, and cleared the temple. So we know that there are some issues then that are so close to the heart of God that when Jesus deals with them directly, righteous anger appears. Now, if Jesus has righteous anger about something, I would think that that's something that we need to pay very special attention to to avoid in our own lives and in our churches to make sure that we understand what it was that he was forcefully rejecting. Because I don't want to find myself in that camp at, at any point, and yet it's one that is human nature is prone to lead us there. And so we have to take special care not to be a Pharisee in life because it's extremely easy to wander into that territory and not even realize it. Because the Pharisees weren't born out of a group of people who thought, you know what, let's make life unbearable for everybody else. And let's completely misrepresent God in everything that we do. It didn't start out like that, but it certainly turned into that. And so we're going to have a lot, kind of a, a lot more scripture to read today uh, in Matthew chapter 23. As you see, verses 1 through 36, we're not going to do it all at once. Uh, we're going to start out just looking at verses 1 through 12. But it says in Matthew 23, beginning of verse 1, it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts, and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you 
shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, the Pharisees, this is obviously Jesus is starting, and he starts his seven woes. He starts saying, woe to you, over and over in this. We're going to talk about that. But the Pharisees, where did they come from? Because what you really have to, to know to understand the Pharisees is take the worst of dead religion, okay? The worst of, of dead legalistic religious practices that have no connection to God, take the worst of that, and then mix it with the worst of politics. And you've got the Pharisees. That's literally what it was. Because the Pharisees were a political movement that started as a reaction against the captivity that they endured in, in the book of Daniel and, and Esther and, and such. When they were taken into captivity, they, they, you know, they kept worshiping Baal. They kept violating God's law. They kept giving into idolatry. And so when they came back and, and they, they rebuilt the temple and, and they, they reestablished Jerusalem, this political movement... Taking God's law, because remember, politics, in this time, politics and religion were the same thing across the world. Okay, it didn't matter if it was Roman Empire, it didn't matter if it was the, the Jewish people, it didn't matter you know, who it was. They were combined. And so this movement started to safeguard, it really was, let's safeguard the nation so that we never go back into captivity again. So let's go ahead and give stiff penalties. Let's, let's really believe that we can follow the law of God and let's insist upon it on every aspect of life and let's become the gatekeepers ourselves to make sure everybody else is following it as well. And they became extremely zealous for the, for the word of God, for the Old Testament, for, for the law. And they thought if we just make this permeate every bit of society, and we force it, we'll never go into captivity again. Now that sounds like a solid reason, right? I mean, isn't that stuff we say today? You know, we want the word of God to permeate society so that... Okay, here's the problem is, one, the Pharisees added to the word of God. Okay, they started the tradition of the elders. And as y'all have heard me talk about it before, but a, a simple explanation of the tradition of the elders. And legalism loves this. Okay, if God's word said, don't step off the edge of the stage because, hey, there's a fall and you're going to hurt yourself and you may hurt the people in the front row. We see that law is a good law. It's going to protect me. It's going to protect our front row people here that are brave. The tradition of the elders came along and said, okay, if God's word says don't step off the stage, we're going to say just don't come within three feet of the stage. Now we're completely safe and we'll never sin, right? That's what they did. And they did this throughout the word of God. They just kept adding and adding and adding and adding so that there were over a thousand commands of these things that were designed to keep you from sinning. But if I'm taught my whole life, don't come within three foot of the edge of the stage and I do this, what have I done? I've sinned. I have literally created a sin that didn't need to exist. 
because God's word never said it was sin. But by doing so, I violated my own conscience, and I thought I was doing something wrong. And so guess what? God is like, you're sinning because you're rebelling against known authority. You're doing something wrong, even though it's not wrong. And so by the time you get to Jesus' day and the Pharisees and these over 1,000 rules, along with the rules of actual scripture, so you've got like 16, 1,700 rules that you're supposed to memorize and live by every single day. Sin was having a field day with people. You know why? Because nobody can keep that number of commands. It's impossible. It's, it's become farcical by this point. It's literally become a joke. And the Pharisees were like, no, we can do it. And so what happens in that situation? You start picking, people start picking their favorite commands that they're going to follow, and they're going to ignore the others, and they're going to pretend like it's okay. This is what legalism is, is that we think by keeping rules it makes us righteous. The only problem in legalism is as we keep some rules, we'll violate others. We'll just pretend that we're not violating those and that it's okay. And we'll really focus on the ones we are keeping. And then we'll become proud of all the sin that we're not doing. Now, this is where this comes home today. Because in legalistic systems in present day, one of the telltale signs of legalism is when people start bragging about what they don't do. Well, I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this. Okay, let's talk about what you do. Because that's what God's interested in. And so, what happened is literally the Pharisees turned into a toxic exercise in self-righteousness, legalism, and judgmentalism. Because they walked around with this critical eye that I'm going to make sure, I'm going to safeguard my nation by making sure everybody else is doing what's right. Now, has anybody in here ever seen that work out? When somebody else appoints themselves the enforcers of righteousness, how does that ever work out? It doesn't. It always goes horribly wrong, and it always creates horrible situations it's always horribly unfair to one group, and another group becomes elite. I mean, it just it messes everything up. And so the Pharisees literally became the self-appointed guardians of righteousness in Israel, and they literally became an insufferable group of oppressive radicals. And so enter Jesus into the picture who teaches with authority, who completely ignores the traditions of the elders. Okay, he ignores them. He's like, those things are garbage. He just pushes them aside. And he's not doing it. And they've been taught now for generations that these traditions are equal to Scripture. That they are inspired. They're given by God. And so Jesus comes along and says, forget those. I'm not doing that. We've got a fight on our hands. Because the Pharisees became an entrenched political power. And if there's anything we know about our world today, entrenched political power does not like to be challenged. And Jesus was a very real threat to them. And so Jesus clashed the most with the Pharisees because they represented the intersection of God's law with the general population. He clashed with the Sadducees some. He clashed with the priests some. 
but the Pharisees were the ones that were there every single day. And you hit this point in Jesus' ministry where you really get the sense he finally had enough. And he calls them out. Because in this section, we see Jesus has nothing but disdain for the self-serving system the Pharisees had created. Instead of leading people to righteousness, it actually kept them from it. And that's where legalism becomes dangerous. It's not just that we become self-righteous, and it's not just that we think we can achieve something without the power of God. It's that we'll actually hinder others from seeing the power of God in their lives too. And it becomes a toxic system. And so let's talk for a moment about the goal of self-righteousness. When we really get to the core of who the Pharisees were and the goal of what they were doing, when religions become self-serving, there are some things we're always going to find. When a church becomes self-serving, when a religion becomes self-serving, instead of serving the kingdom of God and righteousness, we will always find a group of gatekeepers that always seem to work for the same goals for themselves. Power, prestige, and control. Power, prestige, and control. So what does this look like? Well, listen to what Jesus says again. He goes in, in verses 4 through 7. He says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. What are they saying? What's he saying right there? They talk the talk, but they refuse to walk the walk. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces being called rabbi by others. And so the Pharisees at this point were literally using God's law as a weapon for selfish gain, and the people had little recourse against it because there were legal ramifications to challenging a Pharisee. And understand, these were narcissistic, very intelligent people that were drawn to this. And so if you challenge them, what are they going to do? They're going to come back on you as hard as can possibly be. And they're going to find the faults in you, and they're going to report you, and you're going to be in trouble. You know why? Just because you looked at them and said, I don't think that's what the word teaches. And they say, you challenging me? And so he tells them, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Their philosophy in life was grace and blessing for me, but none for thee. And this is something that still happens in today's world. Because the scriptures, when we talk about, when I tell you to become a student of scripture and prayer, a student of scripture, it is to learn the truth of God that can set you free. It is to learn the truth of how God works and how the world works. It is never meant to be a means of control, abuse, to belittle, or to manipulate. And yet legalists always find a way to take a scripture and just drive it in such a way that it, it, it doesn't bring freedom, it brings slavery. And it manipulates people through guilt and shame. And worst of all, it manipulates people's desire to want to be faithful. And a false teacher comes along and says, oh, well, you want to be faithful. Then if you do this and this and this, 
then God will be happy with you. And they start laying these burdens on people that basically tell you, try harder. And then try harder after that. And when you've really, really tried hard enough, if you, if you have enough faith in your effort, then God will bless you like me. And you know what? God hasn't blessed that person. They're just as tied up as anybody else. And so the scriptures are here to guide us closer to Jesus and to teach us the truth of grace, love, righteousness, and forgiveness. The Pharisees made life unbearable. What does Jesus do? Jesus brings freedom. The Pharisees tied up heavy burdens on people and refused to help them. What did Jesus say? He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He didn't say try harder. He said, come to me and I'll give you rest. Now, rest from what? Understand, he's talking about a culture that is weighed down so heavily by the traditions of the elders, by the Pharisees, by the legalism, that he says, look, if you're tired of trying, and you've tried, and you've tried, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've done more, and you've done more, and you're completely empty, come to me. I'll give you rest. I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, in that day and age, when a disciple was following a rabbi, when he took his teaching upon him, it was called taking his yoke. You became a student of that rabbi. You, you copied him. You followed him. You tried to learn to think as he thought. You tried to learn everything he knew. And the, the, some teachers, you know, put a heavier yoke on people. Some put a lighter. The Pharisees, it was unbearable. They put so much on people that there was no freedom in it. And they told him, this is what you must do to be approved and loved by God. And what did Jesus, Jesus came along and said, oh, no, 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 come to me and I'll, we're done with that. My yoke is easy. Why? Believe, the, the, the work of the Father is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. Just believe in Jesus and he will set you free. That's what he was trying to tell them. And so this came down to how leadership and authority were exercised in life. The Pharisees abused it. And when I say abused, I mean they abused it. They abused the, the authority of God's word. They abused the faith of other people. And it was all for selfish gain so they could look better. What did Jesus say? He says they do everything to be seen by others. You see, leadership and authority in God's system, when exercised as God intends, lead to life, humility, and unity, not exhaustion, oppression, and depression. And there are a lot of people that need to hear this in today's world. And for some reason, specifically in Southern Baptist life, I don't know when this happened, but for some reason, in Southern Baptist life, we, we just got a little legalistic over the years. Now, I don't know about here. I'm not saying here. I hope you're not tied up in it. If you are, trust me, there is freedom. You don't, your rules are not making you righteous. Only grace given by Jesus Christ can make a person righteous. Your rules are just tying you down. 
And so you know you are following Jesus when the fruit of the Spirit follows obedience. When we do what God tells us to do, it leads to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, who wants that in their lives? That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the promise that God has said, if you will follow me, this is what I will give you. This will be the result. You know you're in a legalistic system, a system of self-righteous legalism, when it tells you just keep trying harder and try harder and you're not doing enough and it leads to guilt and it leads to oppression and it leads to exhaustion and you're looking at it saying, God, I just want to breathe. I've been around this a lot in my life. I've been in some incredibly legalistic churches and situations and around people that genuinely just were Pharisees. And I don't say that to be judgmental. I just know the effect it had on people. I know the effect it had on churches of constantly being beaten down, told you're not good enough, you need to try harder. And some of you have been through that. You know what it feels like to have your faith abused because you just want to be faithful and then the person you're looking to tells you, well, you need to be more faithful and if you just try harder, then God would love you and bless you. Let me tell you, that is not the gospel. That isn't what God has given us. And so exhaustion, hatred, and hypocrisy are the results of this every single time. Okay, when Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full, he meant it. And this is why it's so easy for us to kind of slide over into legalism because we start depending on our own strength. We start depending on our own effort, thinking, okay, I'm going to be a good person. And we forget all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one who is good. No, not one. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And we start thinking we're good. And so then we think we've got to maintain being good. And guess what? He's got us. We start to depend on our own works to be good people instead of faith in Jesus and his goodness for us. And so what happens? It leads to the signs, okay? The goal of self-righteousness is always somebody else's power, control, and prestige. The Pharisees were the ones that were out there saying, look at me, look at me, as they're oppressing all the people around them. They're soaking up all the glory, and people think that they're awesome because they're making everybody miserable. We've seen that in our world today. That's what legalism does. So there are always these signs that kind of go with it, though. Okay? Because legalism and self-righteousness always reveal themselves if we pay attention. Okay? Verse 23, 5. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Ask yourself this. Who gets the glory? God or people? You see, if, if, if you're listening to, some, to a preacher somewhere and he's like, I'm the only one who will tell you this truth. You need to be here because I'm the only one that will say it. Guess what? Who's getting the glory? See, he's building himself up. And so the Pharisees did everything for public recognition. It was constant virtue signaling and personal kingdom building. And in church, ask yourself, am I being led closer to Christ or am I celebrating a charismatic leader? 
Does the church celebrate Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us, his death on the cross, his resurrection, the salvation that he brings, or is it, hey, this preacher is amazing and you've got to come listen to him? See how easy? It's just easy because we're drawn to it. We're drawn. We just, we like it. And so, what does Jesus say about this? He says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. What does Jesus say? Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You see, the Pharisees had no spiritual power whatsoever. Sure, they had cultural recognition. And guess what? That was their reward. He says, well, you got what you wanted. People think you're awesome. You're not awesome, but people think you are. And that's your reward. In, in itself, it is a lie. And you see, Jesus is so against this. Because God will not share his glory and his kingdom with anyone who is seeking their own glory. He, he's just not. And Jesus had enough of it. I mean, he dealt with these people day in and day out. It was like every time he would start to teach... I guarantee they would swarm him like bees and just show up and just start, you can't do this, and you're doing this, and you're doing this wrong. And after a while, he says, all right, all right, let's have a talk about the Pharisees and scribes. And what does he say? He says, woe to you seven times. Now, what is woe to you? In, the scripture, the, in scripture, the phrase woe to you when spoken by God is one of the direst warnings God can speak. Anytime in the Old Testament... Or even the New Testament, they start to say, woe is you, you better look out. That's when people start looking for lightning strikes. You know, we joke about that sometimes. This was actually those times. When he says, woe to you, Sodom and Gomorrah, and guess what? They're gone. And so when Jesus repeats, woe to you, seven times to these people, we need to pay attention to it. Because it is a final declaration of mourning for what someone has become and the impending consequences of being that. It is a final declaration. And so Jesus uses this seven times in a very condemning and forceful way. What does he say? Starting in verse 13, he says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would go who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Ooh. I want you to let that settle in for just a second. This is Jesus, who is love and grace embodied. I mean, he is the, the, the fullness of God's grace and love right there, teaching the gospel to everybody, healing people, performing miracles, and he looks at a group of people and he says, y'all going to hell. And the people you bring with you are worse than you. Woe to you. Because the work and the legacy of the Pharisees was anti-faith. They pushed people away from God by making them focus on themselves and on rules and instead of God and on faith and on truth. 
this is why just guilting people from the pulpit doesn't work. Yes, if sin is sin and you need to repent, repent, turn away from it. But you're turning to Jesus. It's not just about bashing people and making them feel bad. Who in here has ever sat under that preaching for a time? It got old. I had to for a while, and man, it got old. I just thought, man, I leave every Sunday feeling like I've been beat up. And I get it. I'm not good enough. But I don't think I could ever be good enough for this person. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And so, literally, there was no limit to their efforts to gain converts, but in so doing, they appealed to those who were self-righteous and thus made the situation even worse. Their kingdom was empty, powerless, meaningless self-deception that resulted in a loss of love and compassion for others. And here is Jesus who is loving people so much that he's going to give his life on the cross for them. And he's got his main enemies right now are people who are claiming to serve the same God. And have appointed themselves the gatekeepers of all that is good and righteous. And they're trying to tell him he's doing things wrong. Remember, these are the people that when Jesus healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, went back and were like, we got to kill him. He's violating the Sabbath. See, there's no limit to legalism's stupidity and its inability to see the things of God when it's right in front of them. They felt justified. They just watched an absolute miracle, a man they've probably known their whole lives. They know he was born with this deformed hand. They know that it was like that. And Jesus comes in and heals it. And he's, hey, look, guys, look what Jesus did. And all they can do is get angry about it. They can't celebrate the good things of God because they're so tied up in self-righteousness that anything that makes them look bad must be bad. And thus, they're never able to learn. And so they had no power to bring light into a person's life. No power to change a heart. Just futile effort upon futile effort to be something that they weren't. That's what a Pharisee is. He goes on, verse 23, a little longer section of scripture, but listen to this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? 
And you know what I like to picture just to enjoy this section? There's a crowd around. He's talking to his disciples, but you know the Pharisees are all over here. And you know that he starts going and the, the disciples are like, oh. <laughs> and they're like, that's right. You know they are. You're, you know that their people are loving this because they, they can't stand these people. They have kept an oppressive thumb on them and a boot on their neck for generations. And now Jesus comes along and he's like, you brood of vipers. And they're like, yeah. Leave me alone. Because legalism just destroys. And so let's look closely, very quickly, at what Jesus says. Okay, we're just going to kind of pick a few of these here. He says, tithing on mint, dill, and cumin, but ignoring justice and mercy and faithfulness. Wow. So they got to be righteous. So we're going to tithe on everything, right? So if they got some spices, mint, dill, and cumin... How many of you tied that? Please don't bring it to the offering plate. <laughs> we, we do not accept mint, dill, and cumin here. Okay? But they would tithe that. And he's like, yeah, you, you're sure righteous. The only problem is you forgot the main point of justice and mercy and faithfulness. Oh, wait a minute. So what does this mean? There's an out-of-balance focus on lesser things that give the appearance of knowledge and righteousness and even obedience, but they never lead to freedom and faith. See, when Jesus says they do everything to be seen, they mean it. And so they go in, and, and you remember the story of the, the, the widow given the two mites, and it's just a little bit, and it talks about all the other people come in, and they make a big deal of it. You know, they had these big metal containers and so these guys would come in, and they got their coins, they got their stuff. You know, they're in there, they're looking around, clang, 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 clang. Oh, sorry, am I being loud? Clang, 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 clang. Sorry, I just, I got a lot to put in here. Clang, clang, you know, and Jesus is watching this going, this is such a circus. And then he sees the, the, the old lady put in two, two mites, just worthless. And he says, hey, everybody look, look, right here. This lady just gave everything she had to God. God's paying attention. He saw that. He saw her faith. You see, there is such a difference. And so what does it look like in today's world to have an out-of-balance focus on lesser things that give the appearance of knowledge, righteousness, and obedience? Well, could it be arguing over music style? Could it be arguing over clothes, Bible translation Requiring adherence to disputable or secondary theological systems in order to be a part of the fellowship. You know, one of them that I've seen come around lately that I think is kind of weird is people talking about Yeshua all the time. How many have seen that? Yeah, if you follow like theological, see, all of a sudden people are praying in the name of Yeshua because apparently if you say it in the original Aramaic and not in the translation that God gave us, you're more righteous. And you know what? That is the attitude behind it. They use it, and it's like this virtue signal of like, I know something you don't. And I'm like, you don't know anything. Nowhere is the word Yeshua recorded. What God gave us was in Greek, and it was Yesu, and it's translated Jesus into the English, so apparently God had no problem with a translated word for Jesus because he did not record the Gospels in Aramaic. 
See, it doesn't matter. It is this secondary stuff that people get caught up in and they elevate it to this level of importance that's like, hey, because I did this, I'm righteous. No, you know why you're righteous? Because you put your faith in Jesus Christ who died for you and was raised again on the third day. That's it. That is our source of righteousness. We have none on our own. And so basically they... This legalism, these Pharisees always take some kind of minor issue in detail and make them a source of identity in the faith so that anyone who doesn't completely agree is seen as an inferior outsider. It allows the adherents to feel righteous while doing absolutely nothing of real value in the kingdom of God. That's what legalism does. That's where the Pharisees work. And this is a telltale sign of Pharisaic self-righteousness. And then, so, so that's, you know, elevating minor things to major things, ignoring the major things. And then he says, he calls them whitewashed tombs. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. It doesn't matter how alive it looks on the outside, God is not fooled. If we are walking in faith, God renews the heart and the mind, and we will follow the path of sanctification, and our life will change. We will grow. We will change. Not because of the efforts we put in, but because of what God has done through us and in us. In that process, we will be grieved by our own sin. Notice I said our own sin, not other people's sin. The Pharisees went around looking for other people's sin and were grieved by that, but never turned it inwardly. We will be grieved by our own sin and rely on grace because we are constantly confronted with God's holiness, which always reveals sin. And so one of the great paradoxes of the Christian faith is that we don't arrive until the day we get to heaven. I may grow in Christ and I can look and say, yes, I am a very different person than I was 10 years ago, but man, I am not there I have not arrived anywhere. I got to keep on following Christ. I got to keep growing. I got to keep depending on Him. Because I am just as dependent on His grace today as I was the day I got saved. Nothing has changed. Because if we're like the Pharisees, we will become proud of the evil that we don't do and work to make sure everyone sees how much we don't sin while actually being spiritually dead, full of sin and lawlessness. Repentance is either real and we walk with God, or we fake it and never make it. God warned the church in Sardis about this very thing in the book of Revelation. He says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive but you are dead. Mm. Wake up and strengthen what remains as I'm about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. What did they receive and hear? That righteousness is by faith alone in Jesus Christ who died for our sin and was raised again on the third day. See, they've left the gospel behind. They've become legalistic. They've, They've started to focus on something else. And so the outside looks great. This church in the first century looked healthy. They had a reputation for being the place to be. And what does Jesus looks at him? He says, you're dead. You've forsaken the gospel. 
He says, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, for Pharisees, it's all about appearances. It's all about appearances. But with Jesus, it's all about the heart. He doesn't care about appearances. He's not impressed by our appearances. He's not distracted by our appearances. He is interested in the heart. And that is the cure for self-righteousness. Hear the truth. We have to be willing to hear the truth. The entire brutal, shocking, freeing truth. Jesus told the Pharisees they needed to hear, and yet they wouldn't hear it. He goes off on them seven woe-to-you statements that if they are truly the students of Scripture that they claim to be, they would look at that and say, I, I think God's telling us something. Maybe we should rethink what we're doing. Now, did the Pharisees as a whole do that? No. Did individual Pharisees? Yes. Especially after the resurrection, there, there were Pharisees. It says there were a large number of Pharisees in the book of Acts that came to believe in Jesus because maybe this was the starting point. Maybe there were some of them in the crowd that are like, whoa, that guy knows stuff. <laughs> he, he knows stuff. He knows what's going on in here, and he's not fooled. I, I, I know I'm not righteous. I know I look it, but I'm not, and this guy knows about it. I, I want to know why. Why does he know this? Maybe that was the start. But Jesus told them they needed to hear these things, and Jesus even calls them out on this hypocrisy of not hearing the word of God. Listen to verse 34. He says, therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. He says, you have the truth. The Pharisees have the word of God. They have the truth, but they refused to listen to it. And this is why Jesus rejected them. Because he would have nothing to do with a system that enslaves people when he came to free them. And so my challenge to you today is not guilt. It's not if you've been tied up or you've been taught a legalistic system in your life and you, you beat yourself up because I just need to try harder Look, I, I want you to have freedom from that today. That's why Jesus died on the cross for you. That's why he is seated at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for you. Because he knows all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have no righteousness of our own. We're never going to have a righteousness of our own. So we can stop trying and we can start believing. God is not mad at you. I don't know who needs to hear that in here right now, but you need to hear it. God is not mad at you. 
He wants you in his kingdom, and the way you do that is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. He poured all of that anger out on Jesus on the cross. He's not mad at you, but he will not compromise his righteousness. We have to do it his way, which means we have to be willing to repent, which means we got to give up pharisaical self-righteousness. we got to stop lying to ourselves, and we got to accept the truth that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. we got to confess our sin to Jesus, confess him as Lord and Savior, ask him to come into our lives, and you will be born again. And when you're born again, it's finished. You're his. Because God's message of truth, repentance, and grace have always been enough. They were enough then, they're enough now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day you've given us. And God, we thank you for the gift of righteousness you have given us through your son. God, you haven't called us to attain a certain level. You haven't, you haven't called us to work to a certain level. You've called us to believe. And so, God, together right now, as, as Grace Family Fellowship, as your people, we confess you, Lord Jesus. You are Savior and Lord. You are Emmanuel, God in the flesh. And we believe together that you died on the cross and that you were raised on the third day and ascended to heaven and that one day you are coming again. Help us to focus on you in life and not on ourselves. Lead us to repentance. Lead us to sanctification. Lead us to glorify you in our lives that we would walk in the freedom that you have given us. God, if there are any that are tied up in a legalistic system and belief, they've been taught by Pharisees in their lives, God, I pray you free them from that right now. That they would see your wonderful grace and acceptance and love that you have for them. And that they would put their hope fully in Jesus Christ and not in trying to be good enough. God, it's in Jesus' name we pray this together. Amen.